Book Three, Chapter Five of My Own Story by Emmeline Pankhurst. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. The Women's Revolution, Chapter Five. When I entered Old Bailey on that memorable Wednesday, April second, nineteen thirteen, to be tried for inciting to commit a felony, the court was packed with women. A great crowd of women who could not obtain the necessary tickets remained in the streets below for hours, waiting news of the trial. A large number of detectives from Scotland Yard, and a still larger number of uniformed police, were on duty both inside and outside the court. I could not imagine why it was considered necessary to have such a regiment of police on hand, for I had not at that time realized the state of terror into which the militant movement in its new development had thrown the authorities. Mr. Bodkin and Mr. Travers Humphrey appeared to prosecute on behalf of the Crown, and I conducted my own case in consultation with my solicitor, Mr. Marshall. The judge, Mr. Justice Lush, having taken his seat, I entered the dock and listened to the reading of the indictment. I pled not guilty, not because I wished to evade responsibility for the explosion, I had already assumed that responsibility, but because the indictment accused me of having wickedly and maliciously incited women to crime. What I had done was not wicked of purpose, but quite the opposite of wicked. I could not, therefore, truthfully plead guilty. The trial having opened, the judge courteously asked me if I would like to sit down i thanked him and asked if i might also have a small table on which to place my papers by orders of the judge a table was brought me mr bodkin opened the case by explaining the malicious damages to property act of eighteen sixty one under which i was charged and after describing the explosion which had damaged the lloyd george house at walton said that i was accused of being in the affair an accessory before the fact it was not suggested, he said, that I was present when the crime was committed, but it was charged that I had moved and incited, counseled and procured women whose names were unknown to carry out that crime. It would be for the jury to decide, after the evidence had been presented, whether the facts did not point most clearly to the conclusion that women, probably two in number, who committed the crime were members of the Women's Social and Political Union, which had its office in Kingsway in London, and of which the defendant was the head, moving spirit, and recognized leader. The blowing up of Mr. Lloyd George's house was then described in detail. That the damage was intended as an act against Mr. Lloyd George was clear. Mr. Bodkin said, from the malicious statements made against him by the prisoner. He produced a private letter written by me to a friend in which I had defended militancy, and said that not only had it become a duty, but in the circumstances it had also become a political necessity. Said Mr. Bodkin, a letter of that kind proves very clearly several things. It shows that she is the leader it shows her influence over the emotional members of this organization it shows that according to her militancy can be withheld for a time and let loose upon society at another time and it further shows that any person or any woman who wants to indulge in militancy which is the only picturesque expression for committing crimes against society has to communicate with her and with her alone by word of mouth or by letter that is the proclamation which went out to the members of this organization the plain language of that letter is if we don't get what we want the government and their members will be responsible and the government and the public will be bullied into giving us what i want many extracts from my speeches made in january and february were read and the final speech made just before my arrest at chelsea but before they were read i said i wish to lodge an objection now to the police reports of my speeches they have been supplied to me and the only report i accept is that of the journalist of cardiff who was one of the witnesses he has furnished a fairly accurate report of what i said in that town the police reports i do not accept they are grossly inaccurate and ignorant and ungrammatical and they convey an absolutely wrong impression of what i said in many respects Witnesses were then examined, the carter who heard and reported the explosion, the foreman in charge of the damaged house who told the cost of the damages and described the explosives, etc., found on the premises, several police officers who told of finding hairpins and a woman's rubber galosh in the house, and so on. Absolutely nothing was brought out that tended to show that the suffragettes had anything to do with the affair. 
The judge noted this, for he said to Mr. Bodkin, I am not quite sure how you present this case. There are two ways of looking at it. Do you only ask the jury to say what the defendant specifically counseled the perpetration of this crime, or do you also say that, looking at her speeches that you read, assuming you prove that they were uttered, that the language used being a general incitement to damage property, any one who acted on this invitation and perpetrated this outrage would be incited by her to do it? Mr. Bakken replied that the latter assumption was correct. I say that the speeches generally are incitement to all kinds of acts of violence against property, and that they present evidence of attacks against property and a particular individual, and that there is evidence in the speeches which have been read, and which will be proved, of admissions by Mrs. Pankhurst of having been connected with the particular outrage in a way which makes her in law an accessory before the fact. But you do not confine the case to the latter way of putting it. No, replied Mr. Bodkin. Even if the jury are satisfied, said the judge, that Mrs. Pankhurst was not directly connected with this outrage by counselling it, you still ask the jury to say that by counselling, as you say she had in the speeches, the destruction of property, especially that belonging to a particular gentleman, anybody who acted on that and committed this outrage would have been incited by her to do it? Yes, my lord. I think, Miss Pankhurst, you now understand the way it is put, asked the judge. I understand it quite well, my lord, I replied. Proceedings were resumed on the following day, and the examination of witnesses for the prosecution went on. At the close of the examination, the judge inquired whether I desired to call any witnesses. I replied, I do not desire to give evidence or to call any witnesses, but I desire to address your lordship. I began by objecting to some of the things Mr. Bodkins had said in his speech which concerned me personally. He had referred to me, or at least his words conveyed the suggestion, that I was a woman riding about in my motor-car, inciting other women to do acts which entail imprisonment and great suffering, while I, perhaps indulging in some curious form of pleasure, was protected, or thought myself protected, from serious consequences. I said that Mr. Bodkin knew perfectly well that I shared all the dangers the other women faced, that I had been in prison three times, serving two of the sentences in full, and being treated like an ordinary felon, searched, put in prison clothes, eating prison fare, given solitary confinement, and conforming to all the abominable rules, opposed upon women who commit crimes in England. I thought I owed it to myself, especially as the same suggestions, in regard to the luxury in which I lived, supported by the members of the WSPU, had been made, not only by Mr. Bodkin in court, but by members of the government in the House of Commons. I thought I owed it to myself to say that I owned no motor-car, and never had owned one. The car in which I occasionally rode was owned by the organization, and was used for general propaganda work. In that car, and in cars owned by friends, I had gone about my work as a speaker in the women's suffrage movement. It was equally untrue, I said, that some of us were making incomes of one thousand to fifteen hundred pounds a year out of the suffrage movement, as had actually been alleged in the debates in the House in which Parliament were trying to decide how to crush militancy. No woman in our organization was making any such income, or anything remotely like it. Myself, I had sacrificed a considerable portion of my income, because I had to surrender a very important part of it in order to be free to do what I thought was my duty in the movement. Addressing myself to my defense, I told the court that it was a very serious condition of things when a large number of respectable and naturally law-abiding people, people of upright lives, came to hold the law in contempt, came seriously to making up their minds that they were justified in breaking the law. The whole of good government, I said, rests upon acceptance of the law, upon a respect of the law, and I say to you seriously, my lord and gentlemen of the jury, that women of intelligence, women of training, women of upright life, have for many years ceased to respect the laws of this country. It is an absolute fact, and when you look at the laws of this country as they affect women, it is not to be wondered at. At some length I went over these laws, laws that made it possible for the judge to send me, if found guilty, to prison for fourteen years, while the maximum penalty for offenses of the most revolting kind against little girls was only two years' imprisonment. 
the laws of inheritance the laws of divorce the laws of guardianship of children all so scandalously unjust to women i sketched briefly and i said that not only these laws and others but the administration of the laws fell so far short of adequacy that women felt that they must be permitted to share the work of cleaning up the entire situation i tried here to tell of certain dreadful things that i had learned as the wife of a barrister things about some of the men in high places who are entrusted with the administration of the law of a judge of assizes where many hideous crimes against women were tried this judge himself being found dead one morning in a brothel but the court would not allow me to go into personalities as he called it with regard to distinguished people and told me that the sole question before the jury was whether or not i was guilty as charged i must speak on that subject and no other after a hard fight to be allowed to tell the jury the reasons why women had lost respect for the law and were making such a struggle in order to become lawmakers themselves, I closed my speech by saying, Over one thousand women have gone to prison in the course of this agitation, have suffered their imprisonment, have come out of prison injured in health, weakened in body, but not in spirit. I come to stand my trial from the bedside of one of my daughters, who has come out of Holloway Prison, sent there for two months' hard labor for participating with four other people in breaking a small pane of glass she has hunger-struck in prison she submitted herself for more than five weeks to the horrible ordeal of feeding by force and she has come out of prison having lost nearly two stone in weight she is so weak that she cannot get out of her bed and i say to you gentlemen that is the kind of punishment you are inflicting upon me or any other woman who may be brought before you i ask you if you are prepared to send an incalculable number of women to prison i speak to you as representing others in the same position if you are prepared to go on doing that kind of thing indefinitely because that is what is going to happen there is absolutely no doubt about it i think you have seen enough even in this present case to convince you that we are not women who are notoriety hunters we could get that heaven knows much more cheaply if we sought it we are women rightly or wrongly convinced that this is the only way in which we can win power to alter what for us are intolerable conditions absolutely intolerable conditions a London clergyman only the other day said that 60% of the married women in his parish were breadwinners, supporting their husbands as well as their children. When you think of the wages women earn, when you think of what this means for the future of the children of this country, I ask you to take this question very, very seriously. Only this morning I have had information brought to me which could be supported by sworn affidavits that there is in this country, in this very city of London of ours, a regulated traffic, not only in women of full age, but in little children, that they are being purchased, that they are being entrapped, and that they are being trained to minister to the vicious pleasures of persons who ought to know better in their positions of life. Well, these are the things that have made us women determined to go on, determined to face everything, determined to see this thing out to the end, let it cost us what it may and if you convict me gentlemen if you find me guilty i tell you quite honestly and quite frankly that whether the sentence is a long sentence whether the sentence is a short sentence i shall not submit to it i shall the moment i leave this court if i am sent to prison whether to penal servitude or to the lighter form of imprisonment because i am not sufficiently versed in the law to know what his lordship may decide but whatever my sentence is from the moment i leave this court i shall quite deliberately refuse to eat food i shall join the women who are already in holloway on the hunger strike i shall come out of prison dead or alive at the earliest possible moment and once out again as soon as i am physically fit i shall enter into this fight again life is very dear to all of us i am not seeking as was said by the home secretary to commit suicide i do not want to commit suicide i want to see the women of this country enfranchised and i want to live until that is done those are the feelings by which we are animated we offer ourselves as sacrifices just as your forefathers did in the past in this cause and i would ask you all to put this question to yourselves 
have you the right as human beings to condemn another human being to death because that is what it amounts to can you throw the first stone have you the right to judge women you have not the right in the human justice not the right by the constitution of this country if rightly interpreted to judge me because you are not my peers you know every one of you that i should not be standing here that i should not break one single law if i had the rights that you possess if i had a share in electing those who make the laws i have to obey if i had a voice in controlling the taxes i am called upon to pay i should not be standing here and i say to you it is a very serious state of things i say to you my lord it is a very serious situation that women of upright life women who have devoted the best of their years to the public wheel that women who are engaged in trying to undo some of the terrible mistakes that men in their government of the country have made because after all in the last resort men are responsible for the present state of affairs i put it to you that it is a very serious situation you are not accustomed to deal with people like me in the ordinary discharge of your duties but you are called upon to deal with people who break the law from selfish motives i break the law from no selfish motive i have no personal end to serve neither have any of the other women who have gone through this court during the past few weeks like sheep to the slaughter not one of these women would if women were free be lawbreakers they are women who seriously believe that this hard path that they are treading is the only path to their enfranchisement they seriously believe that the welfare of humanity demands this sacrifice they believe that the horrible evils which are ravaging our civilization will never be removed until women get the vote they know that the very fount of life is being poisoned they know that homes are being destroyed that because of bad education because of the unequal standard of morals even the mothers and children are destroyed by one of the vilest and most horrible diseases that ravage humanity there is only one way to put a stop to this agitation there is only one way to break down this agitation it is not by deporting us it is not by locking us up in jail it is by doing us justice and so i appeal to you gentlemen in this case of mine to give a verdict not only on my case but upon the whole of this agitation i ask you to find me not guilty of malicious incitement to a breach of the law these are my last words my incitement is not malicious if i had power to deal with these things i would be in absolute obedience to the law i would say to women you have a constitutional means of getting redress for your grievances use your votes convince your fellow voters of the righteousness of your demands that is the way to obtain justice i am not guilty of malicious incitement and i appeal to you for the welfare of the country for the welfare of the race to return a verdict of not guilty in this case you are called upon to try after recapitulating the charge the judge in summing up said it is scarcely necessary for me to tell you that the topics urged by the defendant in her address to you with regard to provocation by the laws of the country and the injustice done to women because they are not given the vote as men are have no bearing upon this question you have to decide the motive at the back of her mind or at the back of the minds of those who actually did put the gunpowder there would afford no defense to this indictment i am quite sure you will deal with this case upon the evidence and the evidence alone without regard to any question as whether you think the law is just or unjust it has nothing to do with the case i should think you will probably have no doubt that this defendant if she did these things charged against her is not actuated by the ordinary selfish motive that leads most of the criminals who are in this dock to commit the crimes that they do to commit she is none the less guilty if she did these things which are charged against her although she believes that by means of this kind the condition of society will be altered the jury retired and soon after the afternoon session of the court opened they filed in and in reply to the usual question asked by the clerk of arraigns said that they had agreed upon a verdict said the clerk do you find mrs pankhurst guilty or not guilty guilty said the foreman with a strong recommendation to mercy i spoke once more to the judge the jury have found me guilty with a strong recommendation to mercy and i do not see since motive is not taken into account in human laws that they could do otherwise after your summing up 
but since motive is not taken into account in human laws and since i whose motives are not ordinary motives am about to be sentenced by you to the punishment which is accorded to people whose motives are selfish motives i have only this to say if it was impossible for a different verdict to be found if it is your duty to sentence me as it will be presently then i want to say to you as a private citizen and to the jury as private citizens that i standing here found guilty by the laws of my country i say to you it is your duty as private citizens to do what you can to put an end to this intolerable state of affairs i put that duty upon you and i want to say whatever the sentence you pass upon me i shall do what is humanly possible to terminate that sentence at the earliest possible moment i have no sense of guilt i feel i have done my duty i look upon myself as a prisoner of war i am under no moral obligation to conform to or in any way accept the sentence imposed upon me i shall take the desperate remedy that other women have taken it is obvious to you that the struggle will be an unequal one but i shall make it i shall make it as long as i have an ounce of strength left in me or any life left in me i shall fight i shall fight i shall fight from the moment i enter prison to struggle against overwhelming odds i shall resist the doctors if they attempt to feed me i was sentenced last may in this court to nine months imprisonment i remained in prison six weeks there are people who have laughed at the ordeal of hunger striking and forcible feeding all i can say is and the doctors can bear me out that i was released because had i remained there much longer i should have been a dead woman i know what it is because i have gone through it my own daughter has only just left it there are women there still facing that ordeal facing it twice a day think of it my lord twice a day this fight has gone through twice a week women resisting overwhelming force fights and fights as long as she has strength left fights against women and even against men resisting with her tongue with her teeth this ordeal last night in the house of commons some alternative was discussed or rather some additional punishment is it not a strange thing my lord that laws which have sufficed to restrain men throughout the history of this country do not suffice now to restrain women decent honourable women well my lord i do want you to realise it i am not whining about my punishment i invited it i deliberately broke the law not hysterically or emotionally but of set serious purpose because i honestly feel it is the only way now i put the responsibility of what is to follow upon you my lord as a private citizen and upon the gentlemen of the jury as private citizens and upon all the men in this court what are you with your political powers going to do to end this intolerable situation to the women i have represented to the women who in response to my incitement have faced these terrible consequences have broken laws to them i want to say i am not going to fail them but to face it as they face it to go through with it and i know that they will go on with the fight whether i live or whether i die this movement will go on and on until we have the rights of citizens in this country as women have in our colonies as they will have throughout the civilized world before this woman's war is ended that is all i have to say mr justice lush in passing sentence said it is my duty mrs emmeline pankhurst and a very painful duty it is to pass what in my opinion is a suitable and adequate sentence for the crime of which you have been most properly convicted having regard to the strong recommendation to mercy by the jury i quite recognize as i have already said that the motives that have actuated you in committing this crime are not the selfish motives that actuate most of the persons who stand in your position but although you blind your eyes to it i cannot help pointing out to you that the crime of which you have been convicted is not only a very serious one but in spite of your motives it is in fact a wicked one it is wicked because it not only leads to the destruction of property of persons who have done you no wrong but in spite of your calculations it may expose other people to the danger of being maimed or even killed it is wicked because you are and have been luring other people young women it may be to engage in such crimes possibly to their own ruin and it is wicked because you cannot help being alive to it if you would only think 
you are setting an example to other persons who may have other grievances that they legitimately want to have put right by embarking on similar schemes to yours and trying to affect their object by attacking the property if not the lives of other people i know unfortunately at least i feel sure you will pay no heed to what i say i only beg of you to think of these things i have thought of them i interjected think if only for one short hour dispassionately continued the majesty of the law i can only say that although the sentence i am going to pass must be a severe one must be adequate to the crime of which you have been found guilty if you would only realize the wrong you are doing and the mistake you are making and would see the error you have committed and undertake to amend matters by using your influence in a right direction i would be the first to use all my best endeavors to bring about a mitigation of the sentence i am about to pass i cannot and i will not regard your crime as merely a trivial one it is not it is a most serious one and whatever you may think it is a wicked one i have paid regard to the recommendation of the jury you yourself have stated the maximum sentence which this particular offence is by the legislature thought to deserve the least sentence i can pass upon you is a sentence of three years penal servitude as soon as the sentence was pronounced the intense silence which had reigned throughout the trial was broken and an absolute pandemonium broke out among the spectators at first it was merely a confused and angry murmur of shame shame the murmurs quickly swelled into loud and indignant cries and then from the gallery and court there arose a great chorus uttered with the utmost intensity and passion shame shame the women sprang to their feet in many instances stood on their seats shouting shame shame as i was conducted out of the dock in charge of two wardresses keep the flag flying shouted a woman's voice and the response came in chorus we will bravo three cheers for mrs pankhurst that was the last i heard of the courtroom protest afterwards i heard that the noise and confusion was kept up for several minutes longer and the judge and police being quite powerless to obtain order then the women filed out singing the woman's marseillaise march on march on face to the dawn the dawn of liberty the judge flung after the retreating forms the dire threat of prison for any woman who dared repeat such a scene threat of prison to suffragettes the woman's song only swelled the louder and the corridors of old bailey reverberated with their shouts certainly that venerable building had never in its checkered history witnessed such a scene the great crowd of detectives and police who were on duty seemed actually paralyzed by the audacity of the protest for they made no attempt to intervene at three o'clock when i left the court by a side entrance in newgate street i found a crowd of women waiting to cheer me with two wardresses i entered a four-wheeler and was driven to holloway to begin my hunger strike scores of women followed in taxicabs and when i arrived at the prison gates there was another protest of cheers for the cause and boos for the law in the midst of all this excitement i passed through the grim gates into the twilight of prison now become a battleground end of book three chapter five